0: Welcome to the Remarkable Relationship show with Mercy Russell, where we find the wonder in your story. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 35 years of experience applying the science of relationship systems to my practice of psychotherapy and leadership consulting. My intuitive skills allow me to bring clarity and vision to your challenges. I hope you will be surprised in the next hour. Good morning. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. My goal is to bring a fresh perspective to you on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. In my 40 years of working as a psychotherapist and consultant, I have been continually amazed at the ways in which people overcome challenges. I hope to share my experience and insights so that you can find the magic in your relationships. My hope in this show is to answer questions and challenges you are facing in your relationships. There are several ways you can ask me a question. You can send me a question by email at mercy at leadershipwithmercy.com. This gives you anonymity, since I will not share the identity of the listener asking the question. I often disguise the identity of the listener by changing details while addressing the problematic dynamic. My answers will be available during the live show, as well as on the KKNW podcasts and the KKNW YouTube channel. In addition, I post transcripts of the shows on my website, leadershipwithmercy.com. Please don't be shy about asking questions. I recognize that it can take courage to call into a radio show, especially about personal matters. I have rarely heard a unique dilemma. Your question will help other people listening to the show. Plus this allows me to know what interests you. I am interested in all corners of human behavior and relationships. So I need your help to know how I can address what troubles and intrigues you. Eventually, I hope to have listeners call to the show. I am excellent on the spot, knowledgeable and intuitive. As a listener, I get so much more from a conversation between the host and the caller. <clears throat> so today, I, will be ta- I, I am going to be talking with my guest, Sheila. And uh, we're, we're going to be talking about what I call recovery in progress. Um, so at any rate, um, Sh- Sheila's going to be talking with me about her journal- journey in her family relationships in her 17 years of recovery. What is unique about our conversation today is that we will be clarifying Sheila's goals and developing strategies for her to be who she wants to be in her roles as a mother and a committed partner. <clears throat> Hello, Sheila. Welcome. Wow. Thank you for joining me today. So Sheila, you and I know each other through our recovery community, mm-hmm. and I just wonder if we could start today by just letting our listeners know a little bit about your background. Of course, I always like talking about your family, and um, just so we have an idea of, you know, sort of w- where you've been and where you've, where you've come from.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was born in central Kansas in a small town of 500 people. And um, I have two younger sisters and myself. And we were a close family. My um, father worked in the oil fields and later had his own business and so my dad went to work uh, first thing in the morning, came home late, and uh, my mother was the homemaker and the disciplinarian. So I had issues with my mother from early on. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, for a long time, I felt like uh, different people made fun of the fact that um, I uh Was born in a um, small little town in Kansas. And um, then I began to realize that um, I was the one that had to take kind of ownership of that. And, um, and I found that today, I'm proud of it. You know, maybe a lot of you were born in these great, big, wonderful cities. But i had a whole different experience with this small town and you know you're kind of raised by the whole town because you know everyone (laughs) and um so Uh it didn't it it does today it doesn't mean that it was better or that it was worse it was different and um Uh i i Uh love that that made me who I feel like I
0: am today. Yeah, Sheila, I didn't know this about you. Now, how big was the town? And where in 500, 500 Central Kansas. In Mm -hmm. Central Kansas, wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, well, I grew up in a town of 10,000 in North, (laughs) which I guess sounds pretty big compared to 500, Mm -hmm. but have very much the same um, feeling that, um, everybody knew you and knew what you were doing, mm-hmm. right? I remember as a child walking down the railroad street, which was the business street, and having these total chain- strangers come up to me and say, oh, you must be Dr. Russell's little girl. And I'm like, well, how do you know? You know, <laughs> just because I didn't know who they were. But, that, but then you get the feeling like everybody's watching, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, that I guess that they'll be looking out for you too. I hadn't really yeah. thought of that part of it. So that, that's really um, interesting. Were your grandparents from that town? Uh,
1: no, they f- were from, um, oh, I think my grandmother was like 30 miles away. And uh-huh. same for my grandfather. We weren't very close uh, to my grandfather's side, of my dad's side of the family. But in my mother's side of the family, she and her sister were married to brothers.
0: So we were very close. Yes. Oh, that's that's so interesting, huh? Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. so you grew up there. And then when did you leave that small town? I left right after high
1: school. I immediately went to business college because as Mm -hmm. we've talked, that's my mother said we had to go to business school or beauty school so we could support ourselves. Uh, if something happened to our husbands and uh, education was not important in my family at all. Mm. It it just wasn't. And, you know, I regret that today uh, a lot. But then I married very young at 18, had my first child at 19. And when my then husband graduated from college, he moved to uh, this town in southwest Kansas, which was about 30,000 people. And I lived there until my entire adulthood, until about 15 years ago.
0: Oh, and how big was that town? 30,000. 30, oh, you, you moved to the city, right? City, yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what we would have said in northeastern Vermont. Yeah. Um, until 15 years ago. Now, Mm -hmm. and was that when did you, you and your first husband eventually divorced, correct? Yes. And did you move at that time? Or was it? No,
1: Uh, Mm -hmm. I remarried there in that town. And um, my husband at that time, his wife had died. And uh, at 35, and they had two children. And I was just very recently divorced, and he and I married uh, within six months of my divorce and right at a year of his wife's um, death. But um, so we put our families together. So we had a five, nine, 12, and (laughs) 15-year-old.
0: So, you had two children and he had two children. Yes. Is that correct? (laughs) Yes. So, you had a blended family. Yes. Uh huh. And what was that? Tell me, tell us a little bit about what that was like for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for anybody listening who has uh, had stepchildren, you know the difficulties. And honestly, looking back, those poor children of His, You know, they just lost their mother and then their father turns around and marries within a year. But it was so difficult in that small town because my two children were too young to be left alone. His children were a little bit older and he did leave them alone a lot. So Mm -hmm. it was just made all the sense in the world to put the families together And uh, he and I were married for 32 years before we divorced 15 years ago.
0: And so by the time you divorced, the children children had grown up and left home, all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was 15 years ago, correct? Uh Uh-huh. Now, one of the things that we'll be talking about today is that you're you know, sort of living in the, really after 17 years of recovery. Um, So I just would like to just, you know, have you share a little bit about how it is that you decided to stop drinking and to enter into a sort of program of self-development is what I would call. Um, Yes. Um,
1: Well, my ex-husband and I, Uh, wintered in Arizona for a number of years. And um, early on, uh, we joined a um, private country club here in Arizona. And um, we were the 19th members to join. So obviously, we knew everyone. And as new members came on board, we knew them as well. And it was just, it became one big party. I mean, when we came here for the winters, we drank, you know, every day. We partied every night. We, we just had a grand time until it wasn't so grand anymore for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, made the decision to um, change my life by stopping drinking, because I felt like um, when I drank, I wasn't the dignified woman that I wanted to be, and that was my goal, and, and um, I just wasn't able to do that, so I knew that there were some changes that needed to be made, changes in me, mm-hmm. and it's been um, a wonderful life
0: for me since then now did you need help to stop drinking was it just to um was making the decision enough um, what support did you get for that
1: i um uh, i saw a therapist in those days mm-hmm. regularly for years and um you know i worked uh, with her and i also um you know joined a uh, 12-step program right
0: and it's in that 12-step program that you and I have met so we you know but so you've really kind of you found that useful to stay in for for a long time now I have Mm -hmm. and you know for me
1: my belief is that um, once I took alcohol out of my life then I had to learn to live my life And that's been probably the biggest issue for me. And that's where Mm
0: -hmm. I feel
1: like this program has just walked me along that path of uh, discovering who I am. And, you know, it didn't happen right away. And even though um, I could be classified as, oh, I hate this word, elderly, (laughs) I'm still growing. I know I am because i just i want with what time i have left on this earth i just want it to be the best it can be mm-hmm. and i know that that includes me making changes
0: right that's something we learn that doesn't stop right there isn't just it doesn't stop you know, it keeps going um so when we talked about talking today um we you know y- you wanted to talk about a couple things that certainly that are sort of um, on your plate today in terms of what your you know challenges that you have Um, and the first one that we talked about has to do with your children your adult children and I think it would be useful to talk about this today not only maybe we'll come up with some you know, ways of thinking about it, but also because it, I, I find it's not an uncommon um, situation um, that people our age have adult children who have their own ideas about us and the family <laughs> and how the life should be lived. And, For sure. uh, you know, it's a it's sometimes a rude awakening. So first of all, uh, tell me a little bit about your sons. Um Okay,
1: I have two sons, Uh and the um, older son, we haven't had a speaking relationship for uh, the past six years. Mm -hmm. And is he married? He is married, and he has a couple, uh, he has two beautiful, wonderful adult um,
0: uh, stepchildren. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Sheila. We need to take a break now, unfortunately, uh, not the best timing, but we'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back. And um, this is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. And I'm here today with my guest, Sheila. And we are talking about her life right now. And um, she's been in recovery for 17 years. And like most other creature on the planet is still learning and growing. And um, we'll be back after the break. Good morning. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. I'm here today with Sheila, and we're talking about her family, um, and in the in the in her progress with her re- recovery. And um, we were just talking about after talking about Sheila's background, we were talking about her, um, her sort of dilemmas she's had with her two adult sons, um, each of which. Um, decided to stop talking to her. And we were just talking about her younger son, who um, six months ago decided that he wasn't going to talk to her. He has an eight-year-old son. Um, so she's that's been a, a challenge for her to be separated from that grandson. So Sheila, you were just giving me an update since we even spoke several days ago about this situation, about something that's happened recently.
1: Yes. You know, when this happened with my younger son last, the end of June, I have, um, I have really diligently worked on my spiritual connection. I have prayed about this and prayed about it. I've prayed for change in me to see what my part was and. Day in and day out, it just I have been devastated by being cut off from the eight year old because I just feel like he needs me. I really do. Mm
0: -hmm. But now, Sheila, um, just to say, I think for our, our listeners, you even had made a decision to move back near them, correct? I did and they're in Ohio, is that right? They, and they are. And you had yeah. made a decision to go there to I did. Get, get your own place to live so that you could be available to this grandson. And what yeah. Yes. And that was
1: Yeah, that was last um uh, like January, February. Mm-hmm. And um I even uh got out of it ten year relationship because I really felt like my son needed me and uh, I needed to be there for my grandson I really and you know my friends and everyone else tried to talk me out of it but I was determined
0: Mm.
1: and I went back there it just didn't seem right so then I um my um Son's wife uh, doesn't drive, and consequently, uh, as I said, they're in a divorce situation but living together. So, and his job is 45 minutes away from home. So, the little guy um, doesn't have play dates, doesn't participate in after school activities of any kind, doesn't get to the dentist when he needs to and I guess in some ways I thought I could go back there and be a mother to him and um, I have come to realize (laughs) he has a mother Mm -hmm. he doesn't need me but uh, I did go there in um, June for three weeks and took him to swim lessons and did all the fun things that Nana's do. And, but I knew that it wasn't going to work for me to go back there. It Mm. just wasn't. Right. But, um, this past week, and I did talk about it with a group of my women friends that for all this praying I have done, and there have been times I seriously have felt like I was going to lose my mind if I didn't talk to my son and see that little boy. And I had this sense come over me about a week and a half ago that if I truly could turn it over in my heart and I'm a Christian and turn it over to God, that God was going to Mm -hmm. take care of it. I think I tell myself that, but sometimes I'm not sure I really believe it. And I want to believe it. And I was at a point in my life where I did. And I, this sense of well-being came over me that just said, you will see your grandson again. It yeah. will happen. Mm-hmm. And this morning, as I do a lot of Sunday mornings, because that's when my son is there at home, alone with my grandson. I texted him and lo and behold he called me. So, so I have so talked to my grandson as of today.
0: As of today. You face you said you had FaceTimed with him. <clears throat> I did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I you know this is just it's one of these just sort of fascinating stories. And I think you can look at it from uh, I could I can look at it from both a spiritual point of view, the way you've described it, and, and then also from a systems point of view, because I think that we are very sensitive to each other, even at a distance and um, emotionally. And it seems that one of the things that happened was that you became more peaceful and in a sense... Um, not trying to, um, as you said before, not trying to impose something on the relationship. You and you could see you trusted that this would not last forever, and that's one thing I try to can get across to, you know, to parents of adult children who are going through different phases, is that that bond is still there and this that that this too shall pass and that the important thing is how we manage ourselves and also sometimes relate to people in the system around it but this is a really beautiful example i think that you've just described of how you got calm within yourself trusting maybe using god you know as a triangle so you could just rely on a on a third person and let go of having to be the person who makes something happen and then there you go, miraculously. So, oh, I love to hear that story. That's great. Now let's speak a little bit about your older son. Um, he hasn't, it's been six, how long did you say? Six years? Six years. Uh-huh. And just, can you tell a little bit about, from your point of view, what happened? Um, that, this, that resulted in this? Because... Um, It's a, you know, it's a little bit of a mystery. And I think that's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, You know, one thing that
1: um, when he was teaching English and living in Japan for seven years, he met a um, woman there. Uh, Her name was Aza. And um, she came from... I believe Australia, but she was going around doing these big workshops about anger. And um, I met her, she came to the United States one time and I did meet her. But my son told me later that she told him that he would never heal from his anger at me for being controlling, et cetera, et cetera, unless I, he took me totally out of his life. Now he didn't do that at that time. So I had taken my step-grandson, it's my stepdaughter's son who is soon to be 24. And he and I have an incredibly, close relationship I had taken him to the Grand Cayman Islands where my son was living at that time and um, he uh, for we had the most wonderful time you could imagine and when we got home my son started saying he couldn't talk long he was just leaving etc etc and then he finally just said to me I don't want any more to do with you. I want you to leave me and my family alone. And honestly, I do not know why. And when I asked him to share that with me or anything, he just said it was done.
0: So So this advice that he'd gotten from this um, woman in Australia, is he still in touch with her?
1: I don't know. Uh huh. He told me at one time that later she tried to convince him that it was um, he needed to get away from his wife. And that's when he said, I just want no more to do with her. So I have no idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've tried to find her, look her up. There's nothing.
0: Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me about this situation is, first of all, it's not uncommon that a certain type of therapist will recommend that adult children cut off from their parents. Now, sometimes if the parent is very abusive physically or emotionally, or, um, you know, uh, certainly there are parents who haven't been, you know, decent parents, but this often happens even when the parenting has been perfectly good. But of course, none of us are perfect as parents, and um, there are always ways, I'm sure, in which we don't completely meet our children's needs emotionally. I'm mm-hmm. uh, not 100 percent. there are certainly some, you know some people who are really good with that. But we have our own lives to live, and then often we're, you know, going through challenges ourselves as we're raising our children. So, but this advice to just cut off is quite ubiquitous, I would say, or, you know, in in a lot of different places in the therapy world. And um, I think what's challenging, I mean, first of all, I I don't think it's good advice, but nevertheless, uh, I think the big challenge is being on the other end of it. And um, because it isn't my the likelihood, first of all, you don't know what happened. And that's a very tough place to be in. So did you do something that unwittingly was very offensive or triggering? You don't even have the feedback to even take stock of your own behavior, right? You're just sort of left in a vacuum. And then you have really this, the likelihood is a third person there. There's somebody else whispering in their ear and we live in triangles. We just do. It isn't just you and him, you know, there's his wife there. Who knows? Maybe just the memory of what someone said, or you You don't even have to know who that third person is. In this case, you don't. Um, but what I do maintain is that <clears throat> there are ways as a person who's been pushed away, that we can stay steady. And um, I think you have your own clue, right? In fact, without me even, you know, dumping my beliefs or strategies on you, you have just described to us something that you came to in your own path, which was having having your own inner inner guidance, get calming yourself down with that. And that has to do with your spirituality um, and your prayer. But then also coming to the sort of calm belief that this too should pass. That maybe your son that is sooner or later your, you and your son would be reunited. This was what happened with your younger son. Um, mm-hmm. The question is, you know, are you there with your older son? Can you get to a place? You don't have the option. I mean, there may be ways in which, you know, maybe the brothers are in touch and there's some way that you can, you know, just communicate in, you know, your neutrality, so to speak, or your calm or your acceptance of his process, but also your, your r- refusal to give up on the bond that you have, because the bond's there. There's not a matter of that there's no bond. You know, that's a, fa- that's a fallacy too, that, that this lack of attachment or, you know, it's just, you know, this is against biology. So what we know is that that attachment is there and that what we look for is for it to loosen up. So are there do you have any thoughts about what you've experienced with your younger son and how that could be useful to you in thinking about your older son? Yes. You know,
1: I I kind of felt like with my older son I had come into acceptance that this is how it was going to be. But as I'm aging, I keep thinking about what if I die and I never see him again or speak to him? And that has um, started eating away at me a little bit, but you know what I just said about my younger son, I haven't done with my older son and that was pray Mm -hmm. about it. Pray about it, pray about it, pray about it, turn it over to God, which is my higher power, and quit thinking that there's something I can do myself to change this. I, In some ways, you know, because of what you were just saying, it's like I've given up on him. And I don't want to give up on him. And so what can I do about it? I can start my prayers again. Uh-huh. I really can.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the what the prayer signifies something um, very meaningful, and I mean not just meaningful. There's something very active in the prayer. It's an action you're taking. I like that mm-hmm. because it requires a shift in you. Like, and so. I mean, that's what I know. I'm making some assumptions about how you pray, what you pray for. Right. <laughs> but um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know,
1: I don't pray um, just necessarily that my son will call me out of the blue. I do pray for God's will and I pray for God to make changes in me that, you know, my children can see. At a meeting this weekend, you know, rather than a a woman talking about being controlling or not controlling, which I think is a problem for a lot of us, even parents of adult children, is think, for me, this is just me thinking of it as it's not my business. You know, even my uh, younger son and his situation with um, his wife, not driving, not participating in Damon's development. Um, it's not any of my business. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like it to be. But it isn't. It just isn't. Uh-huh. I think and that's a new thought for me.
0: It's yeah, it's it's really powerful and it's a it's a big adjustment that we go through in parenting. You know, I used to think of it as like parenting a 2-year-old is different a 2-year-old t- needs something different as a parent than you, a 12-year-old. Right? <laughs> you're not going to be paying attention to the potty habits generally of a 12-year-old, right? So <laughs> you you're, as a parent You think you've got it and then the children change and they need something different from you and what you what worked with a five-year-old doesn't work with a 15 year old but i think it's the same with adult children but the problem is parents is we're used to feeling responsible protective that children need our guidance we're used to feeling like we're the ones with more experience we're the ones with the answers because we were in that position and That, but the next step is I think the one you've just articulated so beautifully is now it's his life and it isn't your business to manage. And what you what happened one of the things that happens with prayer is you manage yourself, right? We are going to take another break and then when we come back, we're going to talk about that 10 year relationship, right? And when this and where it is today. Okay. Okay. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. I'm here today with my guest Sheila, and we're talking about her recovery and progress. We'll be back after the break.
1: Want to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Let us help you produce a professionally sounding radio show or podcast. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Multicultural, multidimensional even. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: Hello, this is Mercy Russell with The Remarkable Relationship Show. I'm here today with my guest, Sheila. And we're talking about rec- recovery in progress, um, and Sheila's been talking about some of the challenges she's facing in her family and her relationships um, after seventeen years of sobriety. So we were just been t- speaking about her uh, relationships and some changes, and um, with her son and um, with her two sons. And now we're going to talk about her 10-year relationship with her partner. So um, you said at some point when we were talking about an episode in which you decided that you would perhaps move back near your son and grandson, that you had ended that relationship. Is that correct? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And go ahead. Well, can you just tell tell us a little bit about him, and um, <clears throat> uh, just uh, you know, just a little bit about his background and his family, okay. and how you met um, that kind of thing. Yeah, um,
1: uh, he was born in um, New York City, and I'm born was born, you know, in this small <laughs> oh. town in Central yeah. Kansas. Um, He uh, was—he's Jewish. I'm Christian. Uh, He's uh, a bit younger than me, and um, anyway, we met uh, in the program, and we've actually been together now. It'll be—it's right at eleven years. So we have had a little off and on history. Mm-hmm. But um, after I um, had spent the three weeks in Ohio in June, I came back with the goal that um, hopefully we could put our relationship back together and move forward,
0: mm-hmm. now, which we have. Fila, tell me a little bit about what you, you've you been off and on. You had thought you were going to walk away from it and go to Ohio But when you decided to come back, tell, can you just tell us, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about what was, what was really, what did you really value about that relationship that sort of made you want to try again? Uh, I just,
1: I knew that I finally accepted that I could not go back to Ohio and change my son's life nor be a mother to an eight-year-old. I knew that it was imperative that I get on with my life and that I also knew that I didn't want to be alone. And I knew that um, there was really no one else I was interested in developing a relationship with, that he was the one I wanted to be with. And I also knew that that there had to be some changes. I I made a list of things I didn't want. I didn't want to be angry. I didn't want to be unhappy. I didn't want to be controlling. I didn't want to be judgmental. And I wanted to work on ways to not change him so much, but as to change myself. But I I just feel like I'm the kind of person that I believe that, okay, here we are, we're a man and we're a woman. These are the things we agreed upon that we want. So I think that for me, So here we are, we have these things that we need to work on. We've got to work on it. And I have come to understand just really recently that other people maybe don't want to have to all the time be working on a relationship. You know, so. I've been asking myself, what do I have to do? What's my part? You know, I cannot change this human being Mm -hmm. as much as I would like to. And most of the stuff that interrupts my happiness, or so I think, is not stuff that's really life or death. You know, um, I like to keep the garage door down all the time. I worry about snakes and scorpions, and the garage door needs to be down. It's not important to him. He leaves it up, and I say, I have asked you to leave it down. Why can't you do that? Now, am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. Is he wrong? No, he's not. But I then let that interfere with my peace, serenity, and happiness. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. But it's like, I guess I think if we talk about it, it's change. Somebody else doesn't want to talk about it all the time.
0: Mm -hmm. And I
1: understand that. So what I need, my goal is to learn that, I guess, to protect my peace, serenity, and happiness, I can't let these things interfere, but I'm not really sure how to go forward
0: with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, Mm -hmm. these, you know, the garage door is a good example. I always say that there's a, people really go toe-to-toe over, placement of the salt and pepper on the kitchen table right that it's often and it's just often small things but i you know just like to mention there have been a couple other things that um i think are more you know provocative that you mentioned um that get you upset for example how you spend your evenings yes so um
1: One of the things I feel about my partner is that he often, this is what I believe, lacks empathy in how I might feel about something when he, a couple of weekends ago, he came home and he said um, a ski shop was having this big sale and it was starting at five o'clock and he was going with some friends and I thought well what about me it's Friday night Mm -hmm. you know I don't want to sit here and then on Saturday he had a um, movie he wanted to see uh, of the Grateful Dead and um he didn't think I would like it and it was three hours and I would not have liked it. Although I offered to go. So there again, I took offense that he was putting his own um, activities ahead of ours as a couple. That's where, Mm -hmm. and then next day was Sunday, which he was raised uh, back, East End, boys' schools, prep schools, and they were all Christian schools. So he uh, does attend church with me and enjoys it a lot. So his ski club was cleaning up a highway on Sunday morning. So I had the feeling he had put his desires all ahead of mine by doing things on friday night saturday night and sunday morning so i became very obsessed and upset with it and i am telling you i don't like myself when i do that
0: mm-hmm. i and just just to mention you're retired is he is he also retired yes right so yeah the weekends are are loaded even in retirement, when you can kind of do anything at any time, so to speak, right. So I just want to mention that this isn't about simply that you have to run back to work. But it's, so your, <laughs> your reactivity to it is, again, even more like, well, am I crazy? What is the matter with me? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so have what thoughts have you had about what you can do that would make a difference? In terms of the amount of time and the way you spend time together, and the way he makes decisions about how he's going to spend time with you, you know, um,
1: when I first spoke to you uh, about the this issue, I've just had all these thoughts swirling around in my head about, you know, I I I feel like. I I put too much emphasis on this person to make me happy. And I know that another person can't do it, just like another person can't make me miserable. Mm -hmm. But I don't seem to have that um, magic uh, something to just say, go, enjoy yourself. I'll sit here by myself. So uh, I, uh, that's self-pity. I don't want to be that person. I want to be a confident person that feels good about myself that says,
0: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know what you would say <laughs> as a confident person? Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you did tell me what you did one of those nights mm-hmm. with the, um, you, you, got your, you found a project to do in the house right with the Christmas Christmas tree Uh yeah
1: Christmas tree I bought a new one so you know it needed out of the box put up all fluffed and stuff like that so I did I did that you know it's not like it's not like I've not been alone and it's not like I can't entertain myself it's like I have expectations Mm -hmm. of what i believe a relationship is and i am willing more or less in my mind to do my part but now i want
0: him to do his part to fit your expectations yes right (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly right Mm -hmm. and then
1: it'd be a wonderful world, wouldn't it? Right,
0: right. (laughs) We talked about another piece of this, which is, so the result of this ends up being, he's going out, and you're maybe complaining, or nagging about it. Absolutely. Let's say he goes out again, and you're you know, this dynamic um, of um, the person who's distancing and the person who's, in a sense, chasing or following. Yes. And I, this is, I think, we talked about this book. It was interesting. The It's called The Dance of Intimacy by Harriet yes. Lerner. Yes. And she describes this dynamic really beautifully. It's it's based in Bowen Family Systems Theory, which is my thing, but you knew about it because she and Dr. Bowen are from Kansas. And and so she wrote that book decades ago, but it describes this dynamic where um, um, it just, there's a natural, I call it like a a bungee cord between two people. And if one person, you know, distances, the other one's going to follow. But if this person pulls back, this person does too. Yeah, and that's the prediction in the dyad that that happens. So the question is, uh, what will it take for you to, in your energetically, let's just say in your mind, inside, to pull back and not be chasing him with your expectations?
1: You know, I feel like I would like to be the kind of person that Mm -hmm. could say very calmly, I understand that this is what you're going to do. I would probably choose something differently, but I don't know.
0: I don't know if I could do that. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) well, to be continued. (laughs) Yeah. But I think what's so important, though, is that the principle is the same, right? Is that the only person you can change is yourself. Exactly. And the trick is trial and error, experimentation, using things that you know have already worked for you to get to that place where you can just be centered in yourself and accept yeah. the other person for who they are. And then yeah. things magically can shift, right? I am um, um, uh,
1: saw a therapist. It's been a little while back. And this list of things I told you that I wanted to be, I said to her, uh, How do I do all this if I want to be this and be that and not do this, not do that? And she looked at me and she said, You practice it every day. (laughs) You know, that's kind of what you're saying now. Mm -hmm. You know, you just keep practicing it. And I thought, well, how simple is that? But it's true. Mm -hmm. So I asked myself, I would say he was gonna go out on that night is how unhappy are you willing to make yourself? How miserable do you wanna be?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing about practicing is you don't always get it right, right? Right. (laughs) When I'm on the driving range, (laughs) Right. I I sometimes not even hitting the ball, never mind getting the ball where I want it to go. So, but there's as much learning that takes place with that. That's why I like the word experiment. You try different things, you see what works, but you keep, you know, you keep at it. So, Sheila, we need to stop today. I feel like we could really keep going. And I really appreciate your coming on the show with us today. for you know listeners who have just tuned in at the end, my name is Mercy Russell. This is a remarkable relationship show. Um, I <clears throat> Today I've been talking about Sheila, talking with Sheila about her, you know, sort of progress, after seventeen years of self-development and in sobriety, just how she's still working in her relationship systems to be the person she wants to be. At any rate, thank you for joining us today. Um, This is Mercy and Sheila on the Remarkable Relationship Show.